0: Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. I'm here with Eric Name. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks fans, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, I feel like they're starting to get a little bit frustrated with how... (laughs) uh, I don't want to say that their team is disrespected because I think everyone understands how good the team is. Maybe not quite to the extent. Of how good they are, but I do think that uh, they're frustrated with the lack of media coverage about their team. Is that correct, Eric?
1: Yeah, uh, or actually, I don't know if it's the lack of media coverage. I think it's just the type of media coverage. uh, More often than not, at um, not not the Athletic, um, at other places. There is a lot of conversation about uh, Giannis Tedekumbo and where he's going next, and yeah. uh, how he could possibly leave Milwaukee. The ways in which he could leave Milwaukee, the mechanics behind a move for him to leave Milwaukee. Uh, so there's plenty of discussion about the Bucks. Uh, just very rarely. Uh, is it discussed that, oh, this dude could win back-to-back MVPs, the Bucs could win the championship, and on June 30th, he could sign uh, the largest contract in the history of basketball and stay in Milwaukee? Like That that portion isn't discussed. So I would say that is what Bucks fans largely get frustrated with. So
0: we're not going to have the conversation about Giannis leaving because yeah. if we want to I, – I can wait until if they lose in the playoffs. So because I, right. I think that if they lose in the playoffs, that conversation – should become somewhat real. If I'm Milwaukee, I probably still wouldn't trade him. I would still probably take a run at a title because banners hang forever, and what are we doing here, right? Like, why why would you not try and keep the back-to-back MVP, right? But we are going to talk about just how absolutely fucking exceptional the Milwaukee Bucks are this year. So I'm going to start with some... Just base numbers. They're on pace. They're 15-8 right now. They're on pace for 70.6 wins. That would be the third most wins in a regular season in NBA history. They have an 11.6 net rating. That's the best net rating since 1997. The Chicago Bulls team, uh, which, by the way, pretty good team. Uh, you know, that, that was a team that I believe won 69 games. Uh they're third in offense in the NBA, first in defense. They have the best true shooting percentage, best defensive rebounding rate. They give up the fewest points in the paint to opponents. Their defensive rim percentage at the basket against is the best in the NBA by a full six points. We're talking that like they are so good at defending the basket this season that they are six points better than any other team. That is equivalent to the difference between the team in second place and the team all the way down in, like, 23rd place uh, across (laughs) the NBA. They're number two in pull-up shooting percentage, which I feel like uh, tends to correlate to somewhat more postseason success, if only because uh, a lot of shots are tougher to get once you get to the postseason. Everything about this team is just... So monstrously dominant. Why isn't it being recognized? Like, is is it simply that you know everyone wants to talk about the new teams like Los Angeles that has these new pieces in Kawhi and Paul George and the other Los Angeles team that has LeBron James, who is the center of basketball, and Anthony Davis? Is it that? Uh, novelty is interesting with the Philadelphia 76ers controversy is interesting with the Philadelphia 76ers Uh, the Celtics are the most you know storied program you know them and the Lakers in NBA history and here's Milwaukee they've been better than all of them and it hadn't even been close this year why do we think that they are not getting that respect
1: so I think it starts with you know at the start of the year I was the the kind of reference I made. And I, I don't know if this is my uh, most culturally strong reference. Like this is a really weak pop culture reference, but there's a scene in Family Guy where everyone's getting boats and you can go get a boat. And Peter decides that he doesn't want to get a boat because he could get the mystery box. Because the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. And that was the Bucks this off season the Bucks were very clearly going to be great again. Like, it, it was it was clear as day. There was no doubt about it. Like, yes, they might have missed Malcolm Brogdon slightly, and they, like that might have been a problem for them. But no doubt about it, this was going to be one of the best teams in the NBA for a second consecutive season. And that made it. That, that's not fun, man. Like if and like I've I've been asked to make predictions before in this in this job. So if you're asked to make a prediction and you want to say who's going to come out of the Eastern Conference, you don't want to say the Bucks. Like, that's not fun. That's not exciting. I want to make an exciting pick. I want to say the Sixers are going to do it. I want to say uh, the Celtics are going to put it all together. I want to be able to do something different. I, I want to differentiate myself from the crowd and not take the boring answer. Sometimes the boring answer is right. And the boring answer has been very right this entire season. The Bucks are just really, really good. So I, I think it all starts there. And I thought at least at some point during the season it would all kind of come back and people would be like, you know what, maybe we shouldn't have trusted the Sixers. And, you know, they're going to be a mess and they're not going to make this work and we should have leaned into the Bucks. But, no, the Sixers end up just being – even more of a mess than I think anyone could have imagined. They're, they have even more drama and controversy than anyone could imagine. Uh, so you have all of that. You have uh, Jason Tatum making a leap as as a player uh, and putting up numbers very similar to Chris Middleton. Oh, whoops. Sorry. Um, what? Did I, sorry. Uh, so, so one of them is very – but, like, I get it. Like, Jason Tatum's really young, so it's really exciting to talk about while the other dude is a little bit older, but putting up – just the same numbers. Uh, so one guy's a superstar, the other one isn't. I, I'm not 100% sure why. But, I,
0: I, I will say, uh, Jason Tatum, I think, is better than Chris Middleton. Just
1: I, uh, over I, the course
0: I, of the last, what? Let's let's call it since like late
1: December. I don't no really dis- know that it's been close. No disagreement from me. But in one instance, one is impressive, in the other. One is boring, not sure why so
0: so Jason right. Tatum, and I do want to do this with Chris Middleton too, because Chris middleton is has somehow like come back around, so like he was the most underrated player in the NBA like two years ago, and yeah. then coming into this year, everyone was like, "Oh well, he's like properly paid now, maybe even a little bit overpaid. We know how good Chris Middleton is, and now like everyone has forgotten about Chris Middleton again, and he's just been like flat out, fucking dominant
1: um <laughs> yes. I will and say. He's, be- he's gotten better this year. Like, yeah, he has. He's, he's he really, really gotten better. Uh, so, Jason, uh, I-, I just
0: want to point out, Jason Tatum.
1: Incredible. You- I'm not not trying to take away from him.
0: Since uh, the game before Christmas, Jason Tatum, 25.5 points per game on 49-44-81 uh, from the field while uh, grabbing seven rebounds and dishing out three assists. I was talking to an NBA executive last night and he just was like straight up like Jason Tatum is probably the guy that I would take behind uh Giannis in the Eastern Conference right now ahead of Joe. Cause, like I brought up Embiid and he was just like yeah like I think I would take Jason Tatum over Embiid cuz Jason Tatum you can't you can like slow down Embiid in a playoff series I don't know how you stop this version of Jason Tatum in a playoff series
1: so wh- while we're doing fun things um Chris Middleton's January, 54% field goal, 51% from the three-point line, 90% from the free throw line, 23 points per game, six rebounds per game, four and a half assists per game. Unbelievable. uh, I I just want to make it clear just how freaking good he's been. This isn't just like, oh, yeah, you know, if we're going to talk about Jason Tatum taking a leap, Chris Middleton – In the month of January, did that. Oh, in February, it's gotten worse, right? Oh, never mind. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. 24 (laughs) points per game, 8 rebounds per game, 4.9 assists per game. Like, Chris Middleton is unbelievable this year. And again... He got his contract over the summer. It's easy to say, like, nah, we know what Chris Middleton is. No, you fucking don't. Like, you are not watching him. If you think you know what Chris Middleton is, you haven't watched him this year because he's taken another leap this year. And honestly, like, I didn't think that was possible. Like, I didn't think it would be possible for him to take another leap. I thought this was going to be a year where I was going to have to talk to Bucks fans about his value as the second as the second playmaker on the team. I was going to have to, you know, try to let everyone know that, yes – Maybe that is isn't overpay, but he is still incredibly valued. No, I don't have to do any of that. His play speaks for itself because he's been incredible uh, this season. Now on the season, uh, 21 points per game, 6 rebounds per game, 4 assists per game. Oh, and he's putting together a 50-40-90 season. Let's just –
0: yeah, I was going to say, let's do the Chris Middleton thing now because you're 100% right on this. Chris Middleton has been – just so beyond exceptional. So I'm I'm just trying to look up right now very quickly while we're here. How many people in the history of the league have basically done what he is doing so far this year? I you're can't imagine. Steph, you're gonna have many.
1: I think Steph, Larry Bird, and Dirk are the ones that go 20 points per game and a 50-40-90 season. Uh, That's
0: correct. Yeah. So it is. It's Steph, Dirk, Larry Bird, and Kevin Durant did it once. Uh, oh, Durant. That, yep. Yeah, that, that's, but yes, that, that's that, where we're at that, with Chris Middleton.
1: <laughs> that, that's what we're talking about. Like, this, like I, I will give it to anyone who wants to, uh, you know, talk about us making too big of a deal out of Malcolm Brogdon going 50-40-90 last season on, like, smaller numbers. This is 50-40-90 on 20 points per game. Like, this is, this is like, a real high-usage 50-40-90 season. And, I mean, we're at a spot where he just keeps shooting so well that – it's looking more and more like he's actually going to get it done. Like he's shooting 43.8% from the three point line, like that, 90.7% from the free throw line. Like the free throw and free field goal percentage are going to end up being close at the end, but with the way that he's played in many ways since Christmas, like he's just been unbelievable. So, again, like I said, in one instance, it's very exciting, and I get why, because Jason Tatum's very young, and this is like a new thing that's happening. He's taking the leap. We should all freak out about it because, I mean, I think it does realistically totally change the Eastern Conference playoff, like, picture. Like, that him being that good makes the Celtics much more of a threat in the Eastern Conference. So, like, it is a big, impactful uh kind of – it's a big deal. Like, I, I'm just – I just want people to realize that this isn't, Oh, Chris Middleton's okay. Or whatever. Like, no, this is Chris Middleton putting together an all NBA season for a 71 team. Like, that's what this is. This isn't, this isn't just like, Oh, he's nice. Like, yeah, maybe he's like a top 30 player in the league. Like, no, he's, putting together one of the 15 best seasons in the league right now, and he should be All-NBA. That's what that's what we're talking about with Chris Middleton. So, well, the uh, problem,
0: so I agree with you, he's been one of the 15 best players in the NBA. The problem is he's probably not going to be All-NBA because of positional designations, which sucks. For sure. But. He, he's, he's,
1: like, right on the borderline for the sixth forward spot. Like, he's right yeah. he's right there. Um, and, and I would guess he probably won't get it in the end just because he doesn't have that name recognition. Like, I I get it. But, like, that's how good we're talking about. Like, that's how good Chris Middleton has been. And that's the Buck's second-best player. <laughs> right. Uh, so
0: among players that have taken at least—I uh, want to get the number right here—that are taking at least, like, three pull-up jumpers per game, Chris Middleton's pull-up field goal percentage is 55.8%, which is tops in the NBA. And he is taking seven of them per game. It's just slightly ahead of Damian Lillard, just slightly ahead of Chris Paul, slightly ahead of James Harden in terms of effectiveness. So it's not even just that Chris Middleton is doing it uh, while playing just second fiddle to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And look, like, I mean, if we're talking about if he gets easier shots than James Harden or Damian Lillard, where, Farts. you know, top of the scouting port, scouting report every single night – no, he's not getting those kind of shots, right? Like he's getting somewhat easier shots, but he's still self creating in a pretty substantial way that uh, I think is worthy of recognition. And I'm trying to think now, because what it would be? You're talking LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis. Who else at forward? LeBron, um, yeah.
1: Let's see. I'm, I I should pull up last year's
0: because I. Can't imagine that he's going to quite get there. I mean, like, it depends on what they do with Tatum, because I still think I would take Tatum over him uh, for All-NBA, even though, you know, again, Chris Middleton's been phenomenal in every way. Um, yeah, so
1: so last year's forwards were Giannis and Paul George on the first team, Durant and Kawhi on the second team, Blake Griffin and LeBron James on the third team. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can say with quite a bit of confidence that Giannis and LeBron are first team. Then I, I think you you still slot, slot in Kawhi second team, uh, and then oof is
0: well. There, here's here's going to be another problem that we run into. How do you designate Luka Doncic? Is he a guard? Is right. he a forward? Um, you know, and how, then how do we how do like, we designate a, Anthony Davis? Is he a right. guard or, or is he a forward or is he a center?
1: Right, so I, I would guess probably Anthony Davis slots in second team forward if I had to guess. Uh, but again, in seventeen eighteen, he was a center, so maybe maybe he takes a spot there. So I think there's all that. You, I think you're going to think about Jimmy Butler as well uh, for one of the forward spots. And again,
0: is he a Gartery for, forward? Right, right. like
1: it, it, like you you have to go through all of this. So it does I think get incredibly murky. And then I think on all that on on top of all that, like we're talking about a bunch of guys that have been all NBA before and they're, right. I think they're, they're in when it comes to award season precedent matters uh, especially for voters as you're as you're going through names and you're like oh yeah should I pick this guy or this guy oh well this guy I've already picked this guy before like he's good like I know I know that he's this caliber it wouldn't be strange for me to pick this guy again so uh, I think he'll ultimately probably <sighs> it's going to be close Like and I, I think it's it's going to be dependent on people actually realizing how good his his season has been. In, yeah, in I, I
0: was going to say, I actually don't think it's going to be all that close like in, yeah. in terms of what actually happens, uh, and that's unfair because he deserves recognition in some regard.
1: Right, right. So I'm happy we're doing it here. Uh, I, I'm happy yeah. that – I can tell you just how ridiculous he is, and yeah, I mean, there's like a bunch of ISO points in there. There's a bunch of those pull-up points in there, and uh, I, I mean, if you're if you're thinking about, you know, why do people not want to believe this or not think about this? Like, I think the the Eastern Conference Finals kind of hang over all of this, like right. Chris Middleton getting double-teamed. Uh, the the Raptors just scrambled all the time on defense. They doubled Giannis. They doubled the ball out of his hands every time he touched it. And then in that series, they were also sending, like, doubles to Chris Middleton, which is a, a crazy thing to say uh, that Chris Middleton, like, he just isn't viewed as that type of player. Like, they were doing that as well. Like, they were trying to get the ball out of his hands and literally make any of the other three players on the floor from the Bucks make plays, and they couldn't do that. Chris, I think, only scored in double digits twice in – uh or actually no i yeah i think he had like double digits but it was like only like 12 in 11 and stuff like that and then had one really big game uh where the bucks lost so i think there's some of that and i think overall that's just kind of what what people think where they're like hey we did this last year you know they won 60 games last year and then they couldn't get it done in the eastern conference finals and i think you take that you add it to Bud's teams in the past not being able to get past the uh, LeBron led Cavaliers. Uh, I, I think you are, and, and uh, yeah, now it would have been the Caps. I was trying to think of which team it was. If it was Caps or Heat, but either way, they couldn't get through LeBron James. Uh, that's that's hard to do. A lot of people haven't gotten through LeBron James, uh, but I, right. I think there's <laughs> there's there's a number of things where uh, you just like say like, oh well, you know, they're sixty win team last year. They did this last year. No, they didn't. They were good last year. They are, like, obscenely good this year. There's a different like, level.
0: Yeah, this team is historically good. Last year's Milwaukee team was, like, on last season's basis good, right? Like, right. there is right. absolutely an enormous difference whenever it comes to that. Um, we're going to bury the lead even a little bit more because, you know, Giannis is obviously the <laughs> reason that the Bucks are where they are.
1: Yeah, he's but quite good.
0: I feel like, given that I mentioned at the top how good they are defensively, particularly on the interior, I do want to go to Brook Lopez next because I wonder if people understand how good he's been on defense this year. Um, you yeah. look at his numbers, uh, like just you know on a per-game basis, and it looks like he's been kind of bad this year. Right? like He's averaging 11 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2 assists per game on 42% from the field, 29 from 3, and 83% from the foul line. That's just like not an accurate representation of what he brings to the table for Milwaukee. And he should probably be... I don't know if he should make all defense ahead of Rudy Gobert, but he should be, at the very least, the second team all defensive center this year because everything that they do just revolves around either you know, utilizing their length on the help side or filtering things toward the middle and knowing that Brooke is just going to slow them down. He's able to wall off drivers. He's able to contest at the basket. He's able to just use his size and length and strength, particularly to be a brick fucking wall that nobody can get through. Like it's, he has been remarkable defensively this year and I am not sure that I can remember because Brooke was a liability on defense yep. early in his career. And Brooke is going to turn 32 uh, by the end of this season. I'm not sure that I can remember a player who, over the latter portion of his career, has taken, and part of it is systemic, part of it is that uh, he has found the right fit defensively, right, for a scheme that makes his specific skill set valuable. But I can't remember a player who went from being something of a liability on defense in the way that he was in Brooklyn, for instance, to being legitimately, I think, in the conversation, or should be at least, for defensive player of the year this year.
1: So, the Eric Bledsoe really annoys me because anytime you ask him about anything he does defensively, and this is an all-NBA defensive player last year. That That's Eric, what Eric Bledsoe was.
0: Yeah, Eric's he, great he, defensively.
1: He he really annoys me because he won't take credit for anything. He'll just tell you, Brooke Lopez should be defensive player of the year. That's all he says. Like, yeah. that, 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 is, that is all he will say about his defense, their defense, what they do defensively. He'll just say, I keep telling you guys he should be defensive player of the year. And uh, there uh, there's no chance it occurs. There, there's not a single <laughs> chance that it occurs because the the guy that's going to get Defense Player of the Year votes from the Bucks is Giannis. And that's just, I mean, that's how it went last year. He was runner up to Rudy Gobert. That's how it's going to happen again this year. But You're, legitimately, the Bucks should. Uh, maybe Bledsoe doesn't get it this year because he isn't having quite the season. And maybe last year is just like everyone deciding the Bucks need two all defensive guys. And I'm not trying to say Eric Bledsoe isn't that again this year. Um, but maybe Brooke Lopez takes his spot there. Uh but he should 100 percent be the second all defensive center. Like you if you want to put Rudy Gobert in front of him, that's fine. Uh and I think the the thing that Brooke does that is just so impressive is that they have this drop scheme and obviously they're gonna they're gonna have him hanging out by the rim. And I think when you think of drop schemes, like, you you think of really just, like, a mobile bigs waiting there. Like, you think of Roy Hibbert back in the day, like, testing out the rules of verticality. Uh, And you just think of all just these guys that, like, don't do anything else. And I think what Brooke has done is weaponize his drop. And what I mean by that is he is – I think his hips have gotten better with the Bucks. I think his footwork has gotten better with the Bucks. I think they've put a lot of work into that. And when you watch him drop, it is not I'm waiting for you at the rim. It is I'm playing the passing lane right now, and I'm playing your jump shot. I'm playing the pass yeah. lane, I'm playing your jump shot. I'm playing the pass lane, I'm playing your jump shot. Oh, you're at the rim? Okay, now I'm going to play your shot. Or, oh, you pulled up and you're going to try to make this pass? Oh, I'm going to get my hands in there. Like uh, the, the other night, I don't know – There's few players that, uh, I I guess, kind of probe better than Kyle Lowry. Like, I think he's just really impressive coming off of pick and rolls and in those in-between situations just probing and, like, trying to make you make a decision – and I just, he came off a of pick and roll a couple times and Brooke just drops, 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 and then eats up a pass. Like he deflected a bunch of passes and he doesn't like, you don't get steals for those. Like sometimes you do, it depends on the score. who Who's going to give you a steal or who's, if you're going to give the steal to the other guy, but like Brooke deflects a bunch of passes or Brooke will deflect a pass out of bounds or he'll block a shot out of bounds. Like there's just so much that he does. And I, it, it, to me, it's just absolutely incredible what he's been able to do in a scheme that I think people, I, I think people often look down on drop schemes, like. People think
0: they shouldn't because it's about like, look, we can talk about like how switching was kind of the new wave like five years ago and everyone tried to build rosters around switching defenses. Right. Uh, The new thing is 100 percent drop schemes and softer pick and roll coverages across the NBA. Like it's this is 100 percent the way that most teams, I think, are going to go
1: across the league. And I, I think on top of that, I think there's with switching, everyone thinks oh pressure, pressure, pressure. And they don't think you can create that same thing in the drop. And sometimes you can't. Like, sometimes if you just, if you just got, have guys drop to the rim, like, it's not going to be that good. But Brooke all, tells me again and again and again. And I'm working on, like, a bigger, longer piece about Brooke's Defensive Player of the Year kind of candidacy right now that will come out in the next week or so. Um, but, like, the thing that he, 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 like he explains to me, like, we break down the video, and he's like, most times, like, in the drop, like you're thinking, get to the rim, and he's like, Bud doesn't want me at the rim. Like he wants me in passing lanes. He wants me near the free throw line, and then I'm supposed to go with the play down to the rim. I'm not supposed to wait at the rim. And he's like, I, well, I think that that's I, the one I thing. Think,
0: that, I think that's where like his short area quickness has gotten so much better.
1: 100%. Like it's.
0: It's just that little ability to take two to three very quick steps. And it's how he's able to play in the gap as well as he can, right? Because that's exactly what you mentioned. Unbelievable. Yeah. At the front, right? Is that he's so good at being able to play the pass and the shot. To be able to play in the gap like that, you have to be as enormous as Brooke is, first and foremost. But where a lot of guys falter with it is you have to have that short area quickness. Like, you have to be able to. Not just like sink while moving backward into your stance, but you have to be able to stay large and be able to be coiled, ready to leap and contest in a way that is extraordinarily difficult. Like someone like Hassan Whiteside, for instance, in Portland, because they play a drop coverage scheme as well, um, he can't really do that because his limbs are so long and because. You know he's just like kind of a poor area awareness defender, right? Um, I think that another guy that's re- that's getting kind of good at it is the Viza Zubats, right? Um, yeah. With the Los Angeles Clippers, he is still not even in Brooks' category with it because it's just a really hard skill to master. And I think that that's where you look at what Milwaukee is doing defensively, and you go, oh. He's kind of the centerpiece of it. And it helps to have Giannis coming over from the weak side. Like, everyone is just aware of that length all the time, right? But, and it does on some level make Brooke's job simplified in a way. And I don't know, though, that we should take away what Brooke is doing because the role is a little bit more simplified than maybe some centers get a chance to because they have a seven foot fourteen wingspan coming over from <laughs> the back end.
1: Yeah, I mean, like just the idea that you can pair that with Giannis still roaming around somewhere, uh, yeah. and then Eric Bledsoe and Dante Divincenzo and like Eric Bledsoe is like, on a level of his own as far as not getting screened, getting over the top, top lock, and all of that stuff. Like, I wrote about that a ton last year, and if you want to go back and check it out, Eric so like, broke down how he gets over screens to me, uh, which is just fantastic. But, like, all those guys are really good at it. Dante's really good at the rear contest. Uh, George Hill somehow has, I think, six foot nine wingspan. Uh, no, that's right, yeah. He, he was it, it, enormous at the Combine. And, it, like, it, it totally shows. Like, it, it is just a pain. So you pair that with what Brooke does. And, uh, you know, like, I, I think the, Chris Herring on the Low Post said this the other day, Um, and, and I think it's 100% right. Like, Brooke is going to get hurt by his offense, which is, which is total no, BS. No, that's right. But that's 100% it, it right. Is, like, this is, like, the same thing that happens in Major League Baseball with, like, Gold Glove Awards where, okay, you you you're you're pretty good offensively and you're good defensively so you deserve uh a gold glove but now- why would the offense matter but this is one hundred percent happens with awards like if you're not having an overall good year, we can't recognize your defense for some reason so I, I do think there is a chance where he does get hurt because he's not having a good enough offensive season to get all of the shine that he deserves defensively but he absolutely should and uh like I said he's not going to get defense player of the year votes like that's going to end up being Giannis because Giannis is well Giannis and incredible and he deserves those things but Brooke deserves them as well
0: I, I think that The more that we've talked about this, the more you've actually convinced me that it should be Brooke getting the votes from Milwaukee. If only because he's a kind of the centerpiece and like they're all interconnected, right? Like Eric's ability to get over the top screens is uh, just as important as, you know, Giannis coming over from the backside and being able to be that last. He's almost like. It's weird to say this, but Giannis is almost the last line of defense, even though, like, Brooke is the center. Like, typically you think of the center <laughs> yes. is the one that's, like, cleaning up, right? But because of the way that Brooke almost, you know, often, as we've t- discussed now, like, aggressively plays these, like, pick and rolls, even though he's playing drop coverage. You know, y- Giannis is the guy that, you know, is rotating over and is like, okay, if they catch Brooke, I'm here for the cleanup, right? Right. Um. So... Brooke Lopez right now is is allowing 45.8% uh, at the basket whenever he's around <laughs> to contest that is the best mark since like Roy Hibbert's heyday back in uh, 2014 like when Roy Hibbert probably was the most effective defensive player in the league but you know again Joachim Noah was the guy that you know got all of the publicity because he was uh, playing the Chicago Bulls uh, you know this is the best rim protection season basically, that we've seen since Roy Hibbert in his heyday. You know, Andre Bogut, no, I'm sorry, Andre Bogut, Andrew Bogut put up a couple of uh, similarly monstrous seasons as well. And, you know, Brooke is exceeding that as well. Brooke has been so exceptional this season on defense that, like, I can't even begin to, you know, fathom why he wouldn't get, legitimately second-team All-Defense uh, respect.
1: It, it, it would be truly ridiculous if he isn't second-team All-Defense center. Like, it, it, I mean, I, I could go a step further and say it would be ridiculous if he's not first-team All-Defense center, but Rudy Gobert does have you know, just an incredible reputation already, and he is an incredible defender. So like, it would be deserved. But, yeah, if Brooke isn't first-second-team All-Defense center, like we're doing it wrong. You're not paying enough attention. You, you haven't paid attention to what the Bucks are doing.
0: Yeah. And like, look, on some level, uh, I would imagine that Rudy is probably going to play something like a thousand more minutes than right. uh, Brooke, maybe a little bit less than that. It might be more like, you know, 800 more minutes. So if, if you want to say that, I think it's somewhat reasonable to say, I think so. you know what, Rudy is just playing so many more minutes that he's making a greater impact. But uh, in terms of like when Brooke is on the floor versus when Rudy is on the floor... Brook has probably been more effective this year.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and the, the, like the rate at which they can test shots, like Brook can test more shots, like it, it's, all, it's all there. Like, like He has just been um, probably un, unfathomably good in that position. And uh, even the stats probably don't tell you the full story for just how good he's been there.
0: So let, let's go to Giannis and talk about the season that Giannis is having. Because I saw someone on one of those debate shows or whatever complain, Giannis is only playing 30 minutes a night. Uh, how can we how can we give this guy the MVP whenever he's not playing that many minutes? And <laughs> he's, he's not playing that many minutes because Milwaukee's blowing teams out, and he's averaging 30, 12, and 6 or whatever in those 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, the um, third. So he now uh, last couple games uh, he's had some foul trouble. So now he's under thirty for the season. So twenty nine point seven, thirteen point seven, and five point eight. Like if if you I, I find Basketball Reference like random threshold searches not particularly useful. But if in this situation, if you go and even if you want to round down a little bit, you're not going to find many seasons like that. And, like, to say, oh, he only plays 30 minutes a game, how are we going to give him MVP? Well, so what? You you want him – so if he would play more, if he played 36 minutes a game and put up 36 in 16 and 7, you'd be more impressed? Like, you would – no. People would just say, why is he playing against garbage teams? They're up 30. Why is he in in the fourth quarter? Like, it. Right. Th- the that circular logic is just – incredibly stupid um he's putting up insane numbers we haven't seen a season like this in I I know I've never seen one um no he's gotten
0: like for sure better
1: from last season's MVP season it's like indisputable and 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 I guess like the the thing that is just so you you see like nights where Joel Embiid goes off right and they'll be like oh wow Man, what a big night from from Embiid! Like, what do you think? Does this mean for like his future? And you look at his stat line, and he had like thirty six and fifteen. And I like, I'm sitting here in Milwaukee with my hand raised. Like, uh, guys, Giannis averages thirty and fourteen a game. Like, yeah. per game, he averages that. That's not a big game. Thirty and fourteen. That's not a big game. That's what he does every night. It, okay. It's ju- it's just it's it's ridiculous how good he has been and because he's been so good. uh, Again, it's a thing that's very, I think, very easy to take for granted. And now like, there's been in the last, I would say the last couple weeks, uh, there's been a little bit of a push like, hey, LeBron's averaging – 10 assists a game. He's leading the league in assists. Uh, he's putting together this insane season. The Lakers are really good uh, now. With like Kobe, Kobe Bryant's tragic passing, like he's helped the whole city through this. Like he's doing all these things. And I, I, I I'm not trying to take anything away from LeBron James' season because it's been unbelievable, especially for someone uh, LeBron's age, like to still be able to produce at that level, to play as hard as he's been playing. It's, it, it's insane but that shouldn't take anything away from what Giannis is doing. And it it seems like – there's at least a little bit of a push. I don't think it'll actually happen. I think Giannis gonna win his his second straight MVP. But I do think there's like a little bit of a push, like to try to make this a conversation again and not just like give it to Giannis. That in the next month we're gonna go through like, oh, maybe we should give this person some credit and you know maybe we should give this person some MVP votes uh, instead of Giannis. But I, I just think it would be ridiculous. Giannis is dominating the game like we've never seen before. I know uh, Sam Amick here at. Uh, here at the athletic like was talking a little bit last week about how oh you know i always wondered what it'd be like to watch wilt and if you kind of put together some of the the numbers and obviously it speaks to wilt's insane durability that he was able to play 40 plus minutes a night and do all these things he's like but you know if you move Giannis's sliders up a little bit and let him play all those minutes he'd be putting up like a Kind of wilty type season, and that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy to say that he's having a Wilt Chamberlain type season. It would be egregious for anyone
0: other than Giannis and to win MVP this season. Like, I agree. It would take such an absurd miscarriage of basketball justice—not actual justice, uh, like basketball justice—for him not to win. He is been by far the most dominant player across the NBA to where it's just not even, not even in question. He's gotten better just in the way that he can attack. Like you look at the way that he's improved as a pull-up shooter. Uh, he is what he's, he hasn't quite made a hundred threes yet, but he's probably pretty darn close. He'll probably get there by game 70, yeah. right? Um, yeah, he's 77 threes made in 52 games. Uh, you look, you're like comfortable with him taking that shot, but it's at least a threat now for him to knock down threes. Uh, he is particularly good driving into the middle of the defense and hitting shots from either like right at the top of the key or particularly right in that, like five to like eight foot range, right in the middle of the lane, uh, with like a little step back fadeaway shot now that he's added. Um, He's. it's not that he's making himself better for the regular season. I think he's just making himself so much more difficult to guard whenever teams you know, in games three, four, and five get used to dealing with him and have to try and shut him down in the playoffs and try and throw like a bunch of different things at him. You can't really just throw three guys at him to cut off his drive anymore because now he'll just plant and turn around and knock down that jumper where he has the highest release point in the league and it's impossible to really even contest. So I, I don't know what you do, to be honest. Yeah,
1: and I think it, it's just kind of crazy to keep seeing him improve because you look at the numbers and you're just like, how is it possible that he's going to improve this year? And I just think there's there's so – there's so much subtle improvement around him. like So there used to be kind of like the thought, like, okay, if you get him going really fast and then you wall it off, like he can't hit an in-between shot. And he's just obscenely good at finger rolls now. Like it, It's not something you ever think yeah. of with, with Giannis Kumbo. Like you think of him dunking on someone's head. I get it. But he's gotten really good at, all right, I'm going to drive really hard with my left hand, and then at the last second I'm going to sneak in a righty finger roll in the same way that – you know, like a guy like Steve Nash would do it, but oh, by the way, this dude's seven feet tall and he can sneak that in from outside the lane. Like that's well, what you're talking about. Like it's, it's, the it's hit, that
0: it, Andy's seven feet tall and yep. can like legitimately just like take a quick left-handed pound dribble into a crossover to his right hand, keep it low, and go up with like uh, the absolutely. right hand for a finger roll. like it's it's the body control. it's the ball handling control. Like, I can't really remember, because, like, even Kevin Durant is better going backward, right? Right. Like, he's better going to the side, going backward to get to his step back, to get to his pull-up jumper, right? Uh, That's what makes him so lethal. I can't remember someone that was this big or, like, close to this big who was so dangerous off the bounce going forward. Um, You know, LeBron made like I guess if we include LeBron in this conversation, uh, I don't really think of him as quite as big as Giannis. Maybe I should. Um, You know, Giannis is what probably two inches taller and has like five inches worth of wingspan, four inches worth of wingspan. Right. So I, I wasn't really considering LeBron in this conversation. Like I just kind of call him more of a more of a wing forward, whereas Giannis is like a forward center type. But, you know, I can't remember someone that is like a legit seven footer which I think Giannis probably is now <laughs> <laughs> right. um, that could do it the way that he is capable of driving forward, changing direction, changing speed, and changing the angle on defenders.
1: I just remember it was real early in this year. I think, I think I was talking to Giannis in, in Utah. And like it, we, we weren't even talking on the record. Like we were just like, just kind of BSing. And against the Clippers, he had like uh it's like a wrong foot. So it was right hand jumping off the right foot finger roll, and I mean you could have put it side by side by a Steve Nash move and been like, "Yep, that's a that's a Nash wrong footer." And I asked him about it the next day, and I was like, "Dude, what was that? Like, have you been working on that?" And he he's like, "Which play?" And I explained it to him, and he was like, "He's like, oh no, he's like my footwork was just like a little bit off." He's like, "I wanted to actually get to my left foot, but you know the way that the defense was, I just had to go with my right." And I was like. What dude you know that that's like a freak show move, right? <laughs> like I, I literally like I literally like couldn't get it out of my mouth. I was like, what like you you just decided to do this like this what like it, well, I couldn't get to my left foot, so I had to jump off my right foot to finish with my right hand from ten feet. what i was I, I was flabbergasted, and like if, if you watch him play this year, like there are just going to be moves that I think we've only seen point guards make where you just see him finish in a way he, like and I'm talking the finesse ones we still obviously see him dunk on people's heads and he's still oh, like yeah. he's still like modern day Shaq like I, all of that still exists but to that he has now added all of this other stuff, so like you have some of the point guard moves that allows him to finish on the run he's gotten obscenely good at and one finger roll finishes uh this year and one floater finishes like if you decide to try to take out both arms, like he still manages to get like a finesse shot up, and they go in a lot. he's really good at all that stuff like you so you add that to all the stuff he was already doing. And then you add that to the turnaround jumper that he's been working on a lot over the last month. He had four of them against the Sixers the other night, and a couple of them were just just truly ridiculous where there's one in the first quarter it was at the very start of the game, Embiid's covering him. Uh, he takes Embiid off the bounce. He plants on his left and then his right. His right legitimately was in the restricted circle. Like he was going to try to lay it up left-right. Embiid was there, so he puts his shoulder into Embiid when he plants on the right, turns around, and he legitimately let it go at the free throw line. So let us just take let, let's just think about that. Oh, let, I, listen I to mean... me describe it. Like he was at the rim in the restricted circle, and he let go of his fadeaway at the free throw line. Like that is twelve feet of different like it's it's ridiculous what he can do and like if those shots are real and it, he has been working on this all year long and obviously at the end of last season he he told me I mean point blank like hey man I gotta get better in the mid range. Like I watched Kawhi dominate when he couldn't get to the rim, so I gotta find a way to do it. So he's been working on all those things. Uh and like it it isn't just lip service, like he is legitimately better at all of those things.
0: Oh, like the length extension stuff that Giannis does is just like unlike anything we've ever seen in basketball. <laughs> Right. And it's like a statement that we've never seen anything like Giannis in basketball before. But, like, just not only going backward with the step back, because you're right, that's just like a total joke of a move, right, that is unstoppable. But the stuff going forward, like, this is a guy that has to dribble once from half court to get to the basket. And he is figured out very few guys, because, like, he's not, he's an alien in terms of, like, body control. And in terms of athleticism, but like there are guys in the NBA that are seven feet tall and have like a seven foot five wingspan. Right. Right. Like it's, it's not like this is, he's a totally unique frame across the NBA. It's close, but like, it's not like uh, he is alone and by himself here. No one else has figured out how to use their length in the way that he does. Nobody else has figured out how to be able to extend what they do with their body uh, across basically the entirety of the half-court setting uh, in the way that Giannis has. And I think that that is what makes him uh, just so – he's he is a genuinely unique player. Like we throw away – we throw out the word unique a little bit too often. <laughs> right. But I genuinely don't think we've ever seen a single thing like Giannis in the history of the NBA.
1: And, and I think one other thing that all of that is true – and then I think on top of it, we we often marvel, and, and I know like Kevin O'Connor did it this week uh, on one of Harden's moves, and you know Ben Falk wrote about it a little bit. Like a, a bunch of people have written about how Harden has mastered the gather step, and he understands like when to pick up the dribble and when to do it. Yeah, Giannis is just as good at it. Like he's he, he, he uses he, it differently, but yeah. Like he's just as good. He knows exactly the moment when he should pick it up, how to pick it up, how to get himself an extra step. Like there's a bunch of stuff where, if you're, if you're a fan of the team trying to cover Giannis, you're like, come on, that has to be a travel. And if you break it down, it's not. Like because yeah. Giannis knows the gather rule. So like there's a level of, of technical expertise in his game that I don't think often gets described in him as a finisher because we do think of those monster dunks. We do think of him, you know, just physically putting people under the rim. We think of all those other things. Like I I think if there's one thing that's not appreciated about him enough, it's that technical expertise. And like it, it is a little bit harder to I think understand because so often when he is doing those technically like really difficult moves, he's also plowing through like three people and you're like, yeah. holy shit, that guy's a freight train. Uh, well, yeah, it's a freight train, but the track doesn't move straight. Um, like it, it, it curves all over the place and you, you can't do anything about it. And I, I think to me, that's one thing that just doesn't get discussed, discussed enough. Like, if he was just a freight train, that's probably good for, like, 15 points a game. But, like, the fact that he can do all those other things, he sees the game so well, he understands exactly how to use these things, gets him to be a 30-point-per-game score in just 30 minutes a night. Like, it, it, it's it's truly ridiculous that you can put all of what he is together in one package. And Oh, by the way, we haven't even discussed his defense yet.
0: Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to, because we've been podcasting now for 45 minutes. Uh, It's Milwaukee's defense in general is just so (laughs) monstrously good. And like Dante DiVincenzo has played a role in that. And Eric Bledsoe obviously plays a massive role in it. Brooke, we've talked about already. Uh, Giannis, his length is just like, uh, it it just like shadows everything that they do defensively uh, because he, again, is just always there. He's, always around the play because he covers yeah. half the court with his length. So what they do defensively is just so unbelievable. And th- this is definitely the best defense in the NBA. Like, I don't even think it's a question yeah. right now. Um, you know, statistically they are. You can look at almost any metric in terms of shot quality they allow, in terms of, um, you know, differential that they allow, uh teams to shoot. Uh, it's just monstrous how good they are on defense.
1: My statement was not me saying we need to talk about Giannis' defense. I just wanted it to be heard that we could do this for 45 more minutes and still not get into everything that makes Giannis great. Like, he's just that good.
0: It's unbelievable. Uh, before we move on, the footballs might be packed away, but basketball, hockey, golf, and yes, you can even bet on other things like the UFC, like boxing. You can find it all over at our exclusive sportsbook partner, bet online. They've been in the industry for over 20 years, providing customers with the first to market odds and giving you the ability to bet anytime, anywhere, head on over to BetOnline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and have a little fun with some betting action today. Bet online, your online sports book experts, uh, so the question with the Bucks, as you stated early in this podcast, the specter that hangs over all of this is why is this season any different than last season in terms of their potential playoff success? Because they went up 2-0 in the Eastern Conference Finals and then dropped four straight. Why should we believe in this Bucks team in comparison to last year's Bucks team when it comes specifically to playing in the playoffs?
1: Well, first, I would say Kawhi Leonard is no longer in the Eastern Conference. Um, Great that response. Ha- that helps uh, because uh, I, I think often people think about you know some of the outliery stuff that happened in that series, like okay Nikola Miritich missing a bunch of shots that he normally makes, Fred Van Vliet making a bunch of shots that he normally makes, Danny Green missing a bunch of shots, like all those other things, totally like fine to talk about. In the end, Kawhi played better than Giannis, period. Like Giannis wouldn't deny it. In fact, Giannis would make sure you knew that, uh, because that's what's driven him literally this entire this entire season. So I, to me, that's where it all starts. Is I, I don't think there's so often in the NBA, in the playoffs, the team with the best player wins, and I think that was true last year in the Eastern Conference. Kawhi was the best player. Like that's why they beat the Sixers. That's why they beat the Bucks. Kawhi was the best player. I don't know if there's anyone in the Eastern Conference that can do that this year. Like I don't, I don't foresee any of those guys being better than Giannis in a playoff series. Like and you. you so I think let's start there. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And then number two is literally all the Bucks have thought about during this season is that playoff series is all the things that they couldn't do in that series. So throughout the year, obviously Giannis has dominated games, but he has also gone out of his way to figure out, Hey, when teams put the wall up, what do I do? How do I get my teammates involved? How do I get my teammates? Good shots. How do I get myself? Good shots. How do I go about this? Uh, and, Find different things that I can do in those situations. So that means, you know, the little pull-up jumpers. That means the turnarounds. That means uh, we've seen him use some hook shots in the post. Uh, that means being a better passer when double teams come. All those things. Giannis has worked on all those things. The Bucks have also worked on some of those things. So uh, I don't. They haven't gone Nick Nurse level experimentation or anything like that. But. They've gone to Brook Lopez more often in the post, where that wasn't something that they did last year. And Brook is one of the most efficient post finishers in the entire league. I think 1.11 points per possession I checked last time on post-ups. So he's fantastic in those situations. Chris Middleton has become an even better player in the mid-range. And last year uh, it was a a situation where Bud really wanted him to kind of go to the extremes on his shot profile, where it was, all right, you're going to shoot a bunch of threes and you're going to get to the rim well, Chris isn't really very good at the rim. Like, that isn't his game. So they've gone back to giving him more mid-range shots, and he's more comfortable in those spots. And as you mentioned earlier, he's maybe the best pull-up player in the entire league, all of which are good things for the postseason. Those are the types of shots that you can often get because defenses become better. You get less of the easy shots. You have to be able to score in more difficult ways, uh, and they've spent a lot of time kind of working on that. And then I think defensively, we we saw it for real for the first time in Toronto uh, just this past week. Marvin Williams is a big addition for this team. Uh, I was actually
0: going to bring him up next, in, in just in the context of something else, because I think that adding Marvin, I think that adding uh, you know a few more wings even yep. allows them a lot more lineup versatility than what we've seen from them in previous series. Uh, they're in able to go year. straight up small with Giannis at center and you know if Brooke isn't on the court they're basically fine now i think especially with marvin
1: yeah i mean i i just thought you saw it most clearly and i mean marvin even kind of surprised me i thought he had lost a little bit of a step defensively but like he was step up for step with pascal siakokam on a number of plays in in the their most recent game uh against the raptors and that was that was truly impressed me and there may be uh systemic things that help him out. The fact that the defense is as controlled as it is that they put you into tight spaces and force you to kind of beat guys in smaller areas. All of that is true. But Marvin Williams was able to, you know, guard Pascal Siakam successfully. Uh, Obviously Pascal got to the bucket a couple times and got some points, but like, for the most part, Marvin Williams could do that. And I just don't know. uh, DJ Wilson might have been able to do that last year, but Bud just was never going to give him that chance. Like That that just wasn't going to be the way that it was going to go. He will give Marvin that chance. So I I think you have lineup versatility where they can go big and small. In I mean, their base lineup is just bigger than almost any other roster out there outside of maybe the Sixers uh, and maybe the Lakers. But for the most part, they're huge. And now they can – more easily downsize a little bit. And I think that Marvin Williams acquisition is just huge. And uh, I, I, for all the other teams in the league, uh, that had to be quite a blow, uh, not getting him on the buyout market and somehow letting the Bucks get him. Like, that. I, I just think it's huge. Well,
0: there's also the flip side of going, you mentioned going small, like the matchup that, myself included, people have pointed to for Milwaukee is Philadelphia, right? Yeah. Uh, But just because of the bodies that they can throw, right? They can throw Al Horford, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons in a lineup and make things difficult in terms of the way that they can wall off the paint for Milwaukee. The problem is now, I don't know how the fuck Philadelphia scores on this team. Like just being very clear about this, they can now match, Philadelphia's unique ability to play somewhat perimeter-based offense while maintaining size—you
1: uh, can throw... I, I think that's. I think Go that ahead. obviously it's it's with them. I keep finding myself asking that question throughout the Eastern Conference. Like I, I think maybe the Celtics are the one where if Tatum's leap is real, right. uh, where they could successfully score, but I don't—they can't stop Giannis. Um, so I don't, I don't, th- I would have the same questions about how the Celtics stop them defensively, and I don't think they have those answers. Uh, so that could just end up turning into a shootout, but ultimately, Giannis is the best player in that series. That I think the Bucs would ultimately win that. But for the most part, you look around the Eastern Conference, it's like how do teams score against the Bucks? That's the big thing. right. And I, I just don't the Celtics, know how to
0: just- the Celtics are interesting because they could theoretically find a way to play Brook off the floor, right? And if you right. play Brooke off the floor. The defense does get worse, uh, just straight up. It, you know, Giannis is a good center defensively, especially in playoff settings. But it becomes more difficult, let's say. Right. But I still think they are going to be really good defensively with Brook off the floor. They have been this season, really good defensively with Brook off the floor. And adding Marvin Williams certainly gives them another body to throw at someone like Jason Tatum. Uh, yep. I think that the Celtics probably pose the most interesting challenge right now. Philadelphia, like, uh, even even if Joel and Ben get healthy now, I don't think they're going to have enough time to, like, figure their shit out on offense. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, I'd agree. And I think for Boston, they'd always been interesting against the Bucks, but their roles weren't quite defined enough like it didn't make total sense like who is the lead guy and uh, i mean like unless your roles are really defined against against the bucks and you know exactly what you're doing offensively uh figuring it out on the fly is not going to work <laughs> like it's they, not, they're no. just, they're just too good so like if if they can figure out what Tatum is all about and how that fits with Kemba Walker Kemba Walker is always a pain in the bucks uh side just because he's so good against their drop coverage he's killed them the, literally the entire time Bud has has been around, so uh, they would be, uh, I think, a, an interesting matchup. But ultimately, you know, I had this conversation with. Seth part now and day before the other day, like it's just like I don't see how anyone in the East beats the Bucks, and Seth was quick to remind me that well we're really just looking at like probability, right? Like it's a seven game series, so it's not an eighty two game schedule. It's just like again in a seven game series, could things happen? And like he's like it's more conceivable that the Bucks could lose than maybe we thought previously to a team that isn't the Sixers. Right. Even though it's less possible that they could lose to the Sixers uh, at this moment, but just like increasing that probability makes the path tougher. And I said, yeah, that's all well and good, but in the end, we don't think any of these teams can beat the Bucks. Like that's that's really what we're saying. Um, and I, I, I've yet to be proved. And again. Uh, we've ended up talking about Jason Tatum more than I thought we would, but his his leap does make the, the Celtics much more interesting. But I still think ultimately uh, this Bucks team is just too good for anyone in the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, and Toronto is at least interesting when they can play smaller with Serge at the five, right? Because that's another circumstance where you can at least see a world where they play Brooke off the floor. Like if – I think that if Milwaukee can keep Brooke on the floor – it's I just don't know how you beat them right now, to be honest. Like, I, If you can't force Brooke from the floor, I don't see how you can get enough offense against Milwaukee right now. I, I just don't, given their shot profile, given the star power they have on offense with Giannis and Middleton. I'm just very unclear. Like, It, it would take Eric Bledsoe like, literally shitting his pants in the middle of the court and losing all confidence uh, for the rest of his basketball career for a team to beat them like that, I think.
1: Like, I think you can create scenarios in which all of this could occur, but ultimately I really struggle to see it. Like I just don't, I don't know how it would be possible um, across a seven-game series. Like Again, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, but in the end I think it becomes really tough, and I, I just don't quite know how it would happen.
0: Yeah, and the only other team across and you know we're we're going to get out of here in a minute here, but the only uh, you know looking toward the NBA finals, like the Lakers don't particularly worry me actually because you know they have to stay big. Like their best lineups are huge and that just allows Brook to stay on the floor. The Clippers are at least interesting, but the Bucs have beaten the Clippers twice this year. Um, you know, I'm I'm just very unclear on how this all goes. Right, like I'm very unclear how Milwaukee is not the overriding title favorite, as opposed to just tied with the Los Angeles teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the Lakers, the the Bucks can just make the the floor so small on the Lakers that I don't. It's just really tough for them to to score. Like we've seen it a couple times. The Clippers, I think, are scary. Uh, obviously, you're going to look at Kawhi Leonard and uh, what he did to the Bucks last year, and right. like. I, I get the Clippers' fear a little bit more, but against the Lakers, like LeBron is incredible and LeBron is LeBron, but in the end, like the, they just don't have a ton of shooting. The rest of the roster doesn't make a, a ton of sense around kind of what they do. And, yeah, I, I I think the Bucks are better than both those teams as well. I think they should be uh, the favorite, but I, I doubt that's what's going to happen in the next month.
0: Eric, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on.
1: Absolutely, you can find me at The Athletic, you can subscribe to The Athletic, and I have a podcast at The Athletic called Hear the Deer, so if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you don't currently do that, you can go to theathletic.com the deer. that'll get you 40% off, and it'll get you The Athletic, which has incredible work, including my good friend Sam's.
0: Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, I will have a big board <laughs> up today, though, where I rank the top 100 players in the NBA draft. Within that big board, I discuss the international class, which I think is actually pretty good this year. But go to The Athletic. Read that. Uh, go subscribe to our various things. Go help out Bet Online, our sportsbook partners. So until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. <laughs>